The views and opinions expressed on Eye on the Triangle do not represent WKNC or NC State student media. Your dial is currently tuned to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1 FM HD1 Raleigh. Thank you for listening. Hello everyone, this is Brian Jurado, the Public Affairs Director here at WKNC and host of Eye on the Triangle. For today's episode of Eye on the Triangle, we are started off with Technician News Editors Abigail, Emily, and Heidi as they run through the weekly news. Following the weekly news, Eye on the Triangle has an interview of Redbud Writing School's co-founders Emily Catanio and Arshia Simkin, so stay tuned. guys welcome back to eye on the triangle this is abigail ali i'm the news editor at technician and today i'm here with i'm heidi reed i'm one of the assistant news editors and i'm emily vespa i'm the other assistant news editor and we've brought you some news tidbits from around the triangle and yeah we'll get into it all right so my first tidbit is about avery danziger who's a photographer from chapel hill and he'll be exhibiting a collection of film photographs of the North Carolina State Fair in Durham's Through the Lens, through this lens gallery. Um, so he's been visiting the State Fair since 1972, and these photos commemorate his 50 years of visiting. So throughout these years, he's taken a bunch of film, black and white, and color photos, and um, they're going to be exhibited at the through the lens gallery or through this lens gallery. Sorry. Between October 21st and November 12th, and he's had his photographs displayed in the Mint Museum in Charlotte, MoMA, and the Smithsonian American Art Museum in Washington, D.C., so it seems like he's a pretty good photographer, so this will be really cool to look at. That's so cool he's in the MoMA. That's insane. Yeah. Also, that's going to be so cute, especially because everybody loves film right now, and the fact that, like, 50 years worth of film, that would be really, really cool to see. You just, like, trend forecasting or something, because, like... Who was thinking of taking film pictures during the 2000s? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was really interesting. And, like, I, like, love looking at the archives and stuff. So it was cool seeing, like, how the State Fair has changed and what it looks like back in, like, 1970s and stuff. Yeah, right. definitely. I'm sure it's changed a ton just since Mm -hmm. the 70s alone. So that'll be super cool. Yeah, literally. My mom, I just went with her and, like, she was growing up in the 70s and she was literally just talking about like how different it was when she was little because there was so like a lot fewer things to do there and stuff it was pretty much just like Dorton Arena wow and so she was yeah that's actually really cool that there's like a presentation of that I probably should show her that once it's online yeah Yeah. so for my first tidbit I'm going to be talking about how last weekend after the Father John Misty concert in Durham, which, by the way, Deepak is such a beautiful venue, and they had coffee there. <laughs> I felt so bougie, like, walking through, and, like, I don't know, like, the red carpet is just all the vibes. But anyways, after the concert, my friend and I got Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream, and I was finally able to understand the hype of this magnificent stuff. <laughs> like... <laughs> For those who don't know, Ginny's Splendid Ice Cream is known for its high-quality ice cream and its bizarre flavors like wedding cake, watermelon taffy, and everything bagel. Ginny's recently opened their spot in Durham, but their ice creams can also be found in Pints at Publix, Fresh Market, Wegmans, Harris Teeter, Lowe's, and Whole Foods. It was also announced in the spring, like like this past spring, I think, that Ginny's would be opening a location in the Village District. And I can hardly 
wait for the new one to open because Jenny's has changed my life for like forever because I have PCOS and my symptoms are like triggered by dairy like really bad but sometimes I just like say screw it I'm gonna get the ice cream whatever but Jenny's literally had the best dairy-free ice cream I've ever had hands down I wasn't stuck but like choosing between like sherbet and like or like being uncomfortable for the next three weeks <laughs> or the next three days or like feeling like I'm eating literally just like ice and air. <laughs> like, which is, I'm looking at you, Halo Top. That stuff's not good. <laughs> but them yeah, out. calling them out. But Janice was so good and so perfect after the concert and I totally get the hype and now I'm so excited for the new one. Wow. What flavor did you get? It was called sheet cake, but it Texas was like sheet cake. Yes, that's such a good flavor. Yes, well, the second so you said it was dairy free and you said it was really good, I was like, must have been Texas sheet cake. Yeah, changed my life. Am I, yeah, did I miss that? Wait, how did you know it was Texas sheet cake? Because well, <laughs> my sister works at Jenny. She's been working uh, there for like a year, okay, okay, so I go okay. there all the time to see her. And like, well, in Charlotte, I do. Um, and so that's how I know because I've been going there. But um, I love Texas sheet cake. Another yes. one's like gooey butter cake. I think that one has dairy yes. in it, but that's one of my favorites. I was considering it, but I was yeah. like, let me not destroy my gut right now. <laughs> yeah, fair they enough. They good dairy-free. Like, I think they had... They did. I can't remember what they had recently that was dairy... I don't know if watermelon taffy was dairy-free, but that Ooh, one was really good. I can't remember. There was a couple of them. But yeah. They're amazing. Really good. And I think one of their holiday flavors is... um. It's like white chocolate peppermint, and it tastes just Ooh. like the Chick-fil-A peppermint milkshakes. And I think it's coming out soon, so that's gonna be exciting. Yes, that's so exciting. That sounds so good. I need I to know try they had it last year. So yeah. Also, here for the Halo Top slander. <laughs> Why is it so expensive? For what? Why Someone explain that to me. Expensive, and I feel like the first time I tried it, it was like, oh my god, this is so good. But recently, when I try it, it's like, mm, it's no. just ice cream. Yeah. Also, mm. ice cream from like a little store that's cute, and like someone scoops it for you is just yeah. ten times better than ice cream in a carton, yeah. no matter what anyone says. And their it waffle is. cones are so good; like they're so made good. there, and they're amazing. There will be a campus thrift open from eleven a.m. to eleven two p.m. on Saturday, October twenty second, near the Wolf Statues and the Free Expression Tunnel. I'm pretty sure that's Wolf Plaza. I could yeah, be wrong. I think Wolf right. Plaza. Okay. Yeah, where all the skateboarders usually are. Hopefully they'll clear out. <laughs> um, <laughs> all items will be a dollar, which is a literal steal. And items were donated by both students and stores. And some of them are brand new with tags. More information and updates can be found at NC State Stewards on Instagram. And they held one of these last semester. Maybe you popped in, but I went and they had some really cool stuff. But definitely go early since you have the first pick. Yeah. I went to the one last semester too and I think I got there too late it was pretty picked through but like I love when there's thrift events on campus right and everything's yeah. a dollar like are you kidding me there's yeah. some really cool stuff in there for a dollar that's nothing like you can go find that on Hillsborough and change if you want yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> like maybe not but like that's so cheap for good clothes that are like just secondhand yeah. so yeah Definitely. I like went. I was going to go last year and then I saw the crowd of people around it and I was like, actually, I maybe like don't really care that much <laughs> to go and like try and get through. I feel like getting through all the people was stressing me out, but I do want to go early this time so mm -hmm. I don't have to deal hopefully with as many people. Yeah. But, go yeah. at 10 a.m. So you get first pick. You don't camp have to deal out. with all the people. Yeah. Camp out <laughs> near the wolves, near the big metal wolves. It'll be fun. <laughs> all right. To start off my next tidbit, I have a joke for you guys. So. This is related to my tidbit. Why doesn't Dracula have any friends? I'm not sure why not. I swear I heard this recently. Because he's a pain in the neck. 
Okay, so the reason I mentioned Dracula is because October 13th through 30th, the Carolina Ballet is performing Dracula. So I think this is such a great show to watch around Halloween. And uh, they're going to be performing it at the Duke Energy Center for the Performing Arts in Raleigh. And tickets are on sale now. So if you want to see Dracula, I feel like this would be really cool. On the website, it looked like um, the sets and the costumes and everything looked really, really nice and cool. And so I think it'd be a really interesting show to watch. That does sound so much fun. I was just talking to somebody about, like, we need to go see a play. Actually, it was the person I went to see Follow John Misty with <laughs> because, like, Deepak is so just, like, bougie and, like, very, like, very like I'm going to the opera. So I was like, we yeah. need to do something like this. So maybe me and her should go see Dracula. You totally should. I bet the costumes are insane because, like, ballet costumes or, and, like, costumes like that are already so gorgeous and, like, the spookiness of it. I wonder yes. if he still wears fake teeth or, like... Yeah, because they don't talk in ballets, right? So does no. He... So he probably does. I guess he does. Where <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you have to go and find out. Is he wearing pointy teeth? <laughs> okay, my next one is for the NC State girlies, and it kind of fits in with Heidi's. A greater textile group is hosting one of their iconic clothing swaps on Friday, October twenty first, at Wilson College of Textiles. Drop off is from four to five thirty, and shopping is from six to seven p.m. For those who have never been to a clothing swap before, they are so much fun. How it works is you bring clothes that you don't want anymore and you drop them off at the like swapping site. And however many items you bring is how many credits you have for purchasing items later. So if you bring like six items of clothing, you can take six items later at no cost. If you end up taking more items than you brought, you can pay $1 per item. It is honestly one of the funnest ways to thrift, in my opinion, and it's really effective. Plus, it's cool seeing people pick out clothes that you brought and, like, take them out, and they're, like, so excited to have them. So I highly recommend attending if you have some clothes lying around, which I do, so I will probably try to do this if I have time. Um, if you miss this one, Greater Textiles Group usually hosts a few of these on campus throughout the year. So follow them on Instagram to get updates on when the next swap will be. Back-to-back thrifting events. Okay. Yes. I actually saw that one on Instagram and had to, like, go back and make sure it wasn't the same thing as mine because I was like, wow, I missed a lot of information (laughs) and got the date wrong if it was. But it's not. And this one sounds super cool, too. I've been to a couple of these. I don't know if they were put on by the same people. But it's super cute, like, seeing someone, like, like, want something that you brought. Because, like, that's, like, real life. That's, like, not real life. What's the word? Like, new life to like your old clothes and even though you never wore them like someone else will wear them and love them so yeah I think that's so great that like you can bring your clothes and like just get new ones because it's different than like going like sometimes I'll go thrift shopping and then I'll be like wait I have like now I have even more clothes and like I have to fit this all in my closet or something so it's nice that you can like get rid of some stuff to make room for the new stuff and kind of like keep like you know like Heidi said like share the love and give other people's clothes new life yeah exactly and I feel like with thrift stores it's very like you drop it off bye Mm -hmm. but like when I've done it and like seeing people grab stuff and be like oh my god this is so cute and I'm like that was mine I'm so glad you like it like yeah yeah it makes you appreciate thrifting a lot more I think Mm -hmm. and it's just more of like a community thing and yeah I love it it's really fun yeah not to mention it's so much better for the environment than shopping basically anywhere else even if you're not like shopping at the big fast fashion brands shopping secondhand is just still a step above And saves you some money. Yes. If you just trade in your stuff, you don't have to buy a singular thing. And if you do, 
a dollar. Yeah. Like we said earlier, a dollar. <laughs> if you go to the cl- clothing swap, you don't have to crawl down Hillsborough Street looking for change. It's That's just true. free. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so someone in North Carolina won $1 million in the Mega Millions lottery and has yet to turn in the ticket. A $2 ticket was purchased at a handy mark in Goldsboro, and the winner has six months to claim the prize money. The odds of winning were one in 12.6 million. So oh basically God. no odds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they won. And I think it's really cool for, that someone from NC won this, um, especially with the odds being so low. And hopefully it's someone who actually needs the money. And I understand why someone wouldn't want to publicly claim the ticket. I get that. Did you guys ever see that TLC show when it was like how the lottery changed my life? And they had like stalkers because oh. people wanted their money or oh, something. I've heard of it. I think about that every time there's a lottery now. Sorry, that was a little <laughs> off topic. Anyways. <laughs> But if you purchase a ticket in Goldsboro, please, please go check your ticket and can't claim your prize. Because imagine missing out on $1 million just because you yeah. didn't check your ticket. Like, imagine yeah. finding out that was you, like, and it was too late. That would be so heartbreaking. Yeah, it would. Ugh. That's so true. I, like, I feel like I've heard of, like, people not claiming it right away. And it's always, like, I'm, like, cringing for them a little bit because I'm, like, please check your ticket. Like, I would be so upset if I found that out. Yeah, I would definitely, like, not show my identity while I claimed it just because I wouldn't want to be, like, harassed and stuff. But, yeah, please go claim it. (laughs) I'm begging you. I would be in pain. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my last tidbit is kind of especially for Abigail because she has a dog. But this is for any dog lovers or dog owners out there. Barktoberfest is happening on October 22nd from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. in the Compass Rose Brewery in Raleigh. So there's going to be a dog Halloween costume contest. A dog, or There's going to be doggy goodie bag giveaways, food trucks, and precious adoptable dogs. All right, and they're also going to be raffling away prizes. So the first prize is a three-night getaway with your pet to Atlantic Beach. So all of the proceeds it will go to Love Must Rescue, which I think is like the best part of this because it's a good cause and you can go and see some really cute dogs and just have fun. So, yeah. Oh, my God. Emily, guess where I was this weekend? At Compass Rose Brewery in Raleigh? No, at Beagle <laughs> Fest. <laughs> That's so cute. Did you get pictures? Yes, I oh didn't get God, a ton I of pictures, but I, yeah, that's where I went this weekend. That's Me and so Sam went. Cute. Oh, my God. And so, like, that's just another one I get to go uh, to. <laughs> were there like a lot of beagles? There were so many. And wow. just because like beagles are so chill, like mm-hmm. they just don't care. It was like, even though there's like a hundred dogs, they were just so like laid That's back so and not cute. freaking that out. So it was cute. just it was so cute. That's they horrible. also had a costume contest <gasps> and like it was so what cute. Did, what and did it was you dress like, your dog up as? Mine couldn't go. He Aww. was sick last oh, week. Okay, so yeah. unfortunately he couldn't make it, but next time and i did get him a beagle coffee cup so it's cute he's fine (laughs) what's the best um costume you saw you think at that one (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if this is the best but there was one as like a little insurance seller (gasps) and then there was like (gasps) a serial killer (laughs) and he had like a cereal box on him with like a a butter knife oh my god (laughs) Aww. that's cute yeah they were so precious i was obsessed i love, that. I so, love yes. dogs and costumes yes. i am a number one advocate of dogs and costumes barktober <laughs> sounds like a blast yes another advocacy, another advocacy. Another. <laughs> i'll add it to the list we'll never stop yeah. No. yeah one time i saw a dog like it was a tiny little white dog and they got yeah. a panda costume for it cute. and it literally was so cute walking around because it looked like a little panda was walking around it was adorable <laughs> but i love dog costumes yes stop that's so cute barktober sounds fun yeah it really I does also the name like yes <laughs> it's a cute name so cute 
Okay, so for my last tidbit, I'm going to be talking about the Women's Social Club. I think it used to be called the Women's Social Club of Raleigh. Um, and I'm pretty sure I've mentioned them up here before, like a little while ago. But in case you missed it, the Women's Social Club is a national organization focused on providing a place of community and friendship for local women. This is very similar to the Crowded Table Club that I talked about last time you heard us. But these guys have chapters up and down the East Coast and are looking to expand to other areas of the U.S. The reason I am bringing them up is because they announced this past week that they are opening new chapters in Wake Forest, Durham Chapel Hill, and Apex Holly Springs. Plus, their already established Raleigh chapter is changing its name to Central NC Chapter, which I assume means it will be kind of representing and working with all of the NCs, like the North Carolina chapters. There are actually a ton of North Carolina chapters of the Women's Social Club. So before I, I wrap this tidbit up, I will name them all in case you were curious or like in some of these areas and like want to join. So obviously there's the one in Raleigh that's getting its name change. There's the new ones in Wake Forest, Durham Chapel Hill, Apex, Holly Springs. And then other already exip- existing ones are Asheville, Wilmington, and They're also launching one in Charlotte soon. So these don't even include the chapters they have that are opening in other states. So yeah, they just have like a lot going on and a ton of chapters. So maybe check check it out if you like one of are feeling social and just like want to join them for a fun event. That's cool. I like that. I always hear about like social clubs and I've never thought of going to one but I kind of want yeah. to I feel like that'd be fun I feel like it'll come in handy after we graduate because definitely I'm so scared of having no friends yeah because <laughs> yeah. like all the friends like I've made, basically made my whole life have been through school so like yeah. how do you make friends as adults I, yeah. I don't know I have no idea <laughs> so a social club sounds really good yeah exactly and this one I feel like I mean it's similar to last week's but this one's kind of a different vibe this one's more like let's go do hot yoga together or like have a book club and the other one's more like themed party. So like whichever one works for you and like, like Heidi was saying, I think these are really good for when people are getting into the professional field and they're kind of stuck learning how to like introduce themselves to people and like finding new people to be around and be friends with. So yeah. Yeah. That does sound fun. Also you can just do both, like go to a theme party and then go to hot yoga. No, literally, I would so do both. (laughs) (laughs) So we've already mentioned this, but I wanted to bring it back up. So the State Fair (laughs) is back this week. It began October 13th and runs through the 23rd. It features rides, really, really, really good food that you cannot find anywhere else. I cannot stress this enough. There's like nowhere else you can get turkey legs that big. And I know it's expensive, but worth it. And then there's also animal art, photography, and a lot more with the competitions. There's a really big pumpkin right there I've seen pictures of. I yes. thought that was super interesting and cool. Um, tickets can be purchased on their website or at the gates. And on Thursday the 20th, you can get in for free if you bring six cans of food for their food drive. And while six cans may seem like a lot, it is a lot cheaper than their original fee of $13. Because you can just go to the dollar store and spend $6 on six cans. Yeah. And it's for a good cause, too. So definitely take advantage of that. And I've never been to the state fair before. I've seen lots of pictures. Looks like a blast. But definitely planning on going because, I mean, it's it's right there. It's right down the street for NC yeah. State students. And even for Duke and Chapel Hill students, it's close as well. So definitely check it out. Yeah, I think um, it's really nice. Like, I was thinking that because I went this weekend. And I was, like, so grateful that we live in Raleigh where, like, it's so close 
because I got to take the wolf line there and I didn't have to worry about parking or anything. Yeah. But like I saw a lot of Chapel Hill and Duke students there who drove like 30 minutes. And I was like, wow, like it's so nice that I can just take the wolf line back. So definitely check it out, especially if you're at NC State. But I think it's still a reasonable drive for anyone. Yeah. And last year I did the cans thing and it was like, I don't know, it's so easy. <laughs> like, I mean, the tickets are, aren't that expensive, but for students, it's just like mm-hmm. you don't want to pay more than you have to. Right. So, yeah, last year, me and my friends just like hit up Food Lion really fast and bought a few cans. And yeah, it was really, really easy. Yeah. And that way you're feeding people instead of just paying the fare. I don't know where the money goes, exactly. actually, but it's, it's still better. But yeah. 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 I definitely really loved the food. So, check all the food out it was crazy seeing all the stuff they had like it was so funny what are your favorites like oh my favorites i was pretty tame i feel like there's just some like crazy like rattlesnake corn dog stuff yeah i I wanted to try that that's not interesting i wanted to but at the same time i was like i don't know like it's kind of expensive but um i did try the fried pickles which are like i love fried pickles they're really good and the ranch was good with it too and then i got um frozen banana covered in chocolate and sprinkles and those are like my favorite and i loved it so yeah my my friends got korean corn dogs they have those this year they were 15 dollars, but apparently they were really worth it so (laughs) good to know frozen bananas are to die for you know the ones from trader joe's the gone bananas one they're like little banana slices of chocolate they're like i bet it's like that but like it's better yeah yeah it was was really good highly recommend i got like a giant donut and it, it was like just huge and i had to share it with my family but like it had banana pudding inside of it and i was like this is all <gasps> oh i need my in my gosh. life i think i saw that stand oh and i wanted God. to go but i didn't like have time yeah. with all the other stuff we were circulating wait around. that's so smart i never even thought about that it like, was amazing jelly filled donuts are mid at best but banana pudding filled exactly oh that's my gosh amazing. that's so good <laughs> i really want to try the they also have like the you can get like a bucket of chocolate chip cookies and Ooh. I really wanted to like get that with my friends. I feel like that'd be fun. So that if would you're be listening fun. and you want to try getting a bucket of cookies, you can do that at the fair. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, that is all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Up next is Eye on the Triangle's interview with the Redbud Writing Project. Hello everyone, this is Brian Jurado, the Public Affairs Director here at WKNC and host of Eye on the Triangle. And today I'm joined with Arshia and Emily from the Red Bud Writing Project here in Raleigh. If you all just want to introduce yourselves. Hi, my name is Arshia Simkin and I'm one of the co-founders of the Red Bud Writing Project. Hi, my name is Emily Catanio and I am the other co-founder of the Red Bud Writing Project. Great, and both Arshia and Emily are graduates of the MFA program here at NC State. If y'all just maybe want to give a little bit of a background on like what led you there. Yeah, so for me, it was a long and winding path. Um, so before um, I joined the uh, MFA program, I used to be a lawyer, um, and I was representing survivors of domestic violence um, in upstate New York, and um, it was really wonderful, fulfilling work, but I also was very traumatized by it and (laughs) um, didn't really love being a lawyer, actually. And so um, when uh, my husband got a job uh, at Elon University um, in North Carolina, um, I was really happy because I 
um, was not admitted to the bar <laughs> in North Carolina. So um, I saw it as a chance to sort of start fresh and pursue my passion for creative writing, um, which I had always had, but not, you know, thought it was a possibility to pursue um, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, uh, that's that's sort of. Uh, how I got there and um, you know I'd always loved reading and writing but thought I should do something practical until I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> it's funny how many former lawyers or recovering lawyers or current lawyers who hate the law we see coming through Redbud. <laughs> it seems it seems like a common type the lawyer to writer pipeline. Um, for me though um, I have never been a lawyer. Um, I went to journalism school for undergrad and worked as a journalist for several years before pivoting towards um, fiction writing. And I still really love nonfiction and journalism as well, but I decided to pursue my MFA because I wanted to expand my writerly abilities and have the chance to really um, develop my fiction writing skills. Um, and for me, um, I actually ended up in North Carolina because of the MFA program. I moved down here with my husband five years ago to attend that program. And just overall, what was your experience at the NC, at NC State's MFA program? Yeah, um, I thought it was really wonderful. Um, I was so happy to be doing something creative and to finally meet a group of people who were into the same things that I was. Like we could discuss books and writing and that was all very new and exciting. Um, and the professors were really supportive. And yeah, it was just a really wonderful um, opportunity to dedicate time to my writing and kind of um, build up the skills very quickly. So yeah, really great. Yeah, I think um, one of the best things was all the book recommendations. I left the program with a reading list about 10 pages long. Um, but I also wanted to say that another great thing about the NC State MFA program specifically is that I think it's very um, community focused and a little bit more um, practicality focused than some MFA programs. Um, I was admitted to another MFA program and I was deciding between that one and NC State and the other program seemed very ivory tower in the sense that students were not really encouraged to think about um, what was going on in the community or what kind of jobs they might have after they graduated or what it actually looks like to be a working writer. Um, and for me, I am perhaps sometimes too goal oriented and that didn't really seem right to me. Um, so something that I really appreciated about the program is that, um, you know, they do readings here at so-and-so books. They give students a chance to showcase their work to the community. Um, we had some, you know, one-off talks about how to find journals to submit to and, and what all that looks like. So um, I really appreciated that the program um, was a little bit more holistic in terms of trading students and didn't just teach us about how to write well, but also about some of the other aspects of building a writerly life. Well, I was able to discover the Red Bud writing project through like coming to so and so books and then I kind of like ventured off into the downstairs area and that's how I kind of came into the space and learned a lot more and then from there I basically just did my own due diligence of researching y'all on both your website and through social media and it was just an incredible like page. I learned a lot more about both of y'all and um, the rest of your instructors and just the programs that you've had in the past but kind of what brought Red Bud to fruition like what caused y'all to bring it? Yeah, um, so our origin story dates back to NC State's MFA program, actually. Um, that's where Emily and I met, um, and we were um, coming close to graduating, and we both really loved teaching um, as part of um, 
our duties um, as MFA students, you have to teach undergrads, and um, we really found that to be really fulfilling. Um, and so Emily came up with this idea of what if we continue to teach after we graduate um, and uh, asked if I wanted to do that with her. And I was like, yes, that sounds wonderful. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll let you talk about maybe uh, how you were inspired. Sure. So it's really interesting. A lot of cities in the country have schools like Redbud, um, but the Triangle didn't at the time. And I just happened to be reading a Lit Hub article one day in March 2019 about the founders of Grub Street, which is Boston's venerated Redbud-esque school. And the article mentioned that the two women who founded that school were in their late 20s and were just graduating from an MFA program and just started it by putting up a flyer on a telephone pole in Boston advertising writing classes because, of course, it was the 90s and that was the way to communicate um, information at that time. And I started thinking, well, if that's how Grub Street, which is this quite venerated literary institution now, if that's how Grub Street started, then why couldn't I start something like that here in the Triangle? And um, I talked to a few different people, um, like the director of our MFA program and some of our professors and the guys who run so-and-so books to sort of try to get a sense of whether there was an appetite for something like that in this area. And um, the answer seemed to be a resounding yes. Um, it really seemed like there was a dearth of creative writing opportunities for people who weren't affiliated with one of the universities here. And so Arshia and I sat down and we said, you know what, let's give this a try. We had our first business meeting at the sushi place Oishi on Hillsborough Street, which sadly no longer exists. Um, and we just started offering classes and we were really pleased to see it take off even, I would say, faster and um, bigger than we expected. And how long has Redbud been in the area? Um, we found it in May 2019. Very cool. And just kind of like what brings, uh, how do you inspire the creativity within your like curriculums and how do you like maybe go about creating new curriculums as I've seen that you guys market new ones almost every like season, like you guys offer a new set of like curriculums and classes. How do you go about creating those? Yeah, well, to, to answer your first question about inspiring creativity, I think that is a continual job that we have um, because students often come to us feeling really creatively depleted um, or just, you know, out of touch with their um, creativity uh, because they have day jobs and families and responsibilities. So um, we try really hard to sort of uh, emphasize um, how accessible writing can be and be really encouraging and also, you know, tell them, um, don't worry, we're here to give you deadlines. <laughs> um, so a lot of different tools, um, but it's just a really positive atmosphere where even beginning students or people who have um, not written in a long time can get inspired. Um, and then in terms of new classes, um, that's also really a fun thing because we ourselves love to dive into new subjects so often it's motivated by our interests you know um like we offer a writing feminist works class uh co-taught um and we offered it because we love feminist writing and we were like surely other people will too um so that's you know that's kind of how we come up with the classes um and emily if you wanted to talk about how our teachers do it 
Yeah, well, um, first of all, just to bounce off your first question, I think that in some ways, um, engendering creativity in our students can almost become the easiest part of the job because we, we often find that students come in on the first day and they're feeling a little bit uncertain. They're wondering whether they do have that creative spark. They're wondering whether they have it in them to be creative writers. But the classes often end up being so supportive and people get so excited about the readings and about the actionable craft steps that we give them and about the opportunity to get feedback on their work and have people take a short story or a memoir of theirs seriously and give them supportive comments and feedback and actionable steps they can take to, to make it better. Um, I find that all of that really gets people quite excited about creating, which is always so wonderful to see, especially if it's somebody who hasn't had the opportunity to access that side of themselves in a really long time. Um, and then when it comes to the classes that we offer, we, in addition to developing our own curricula, also often get wonderful pitches from teachers. Um, we have a stable of about 10 teachers who teach for us semi-regularly or regularly, and it's wonderful to see um, the new ideas that pop into their brains. Um, we have one instructor, Isabel Walsh, who teaches a class for us called Writing the Eerie and the Uncanny. And um, I believe she originally came up with that idea um, around Halloween, and she has continued to teach it on, uh, I think, you know, twice a yearly basis. Um, and it just came from her own interests. Um, she really likes weird and uncanny fiction. Um, and so, you know, whenever a new instructor comes to us, we consider whether they might be a fit for teaching one of our core classes, which would be fiction one, intro to memoir, writing the novel, or we see if they might have a pitch for a brand new idea that hasn't um, been done before. Like for example, we have um, a teacher, Jill Moffat, who um, instructs a lot of our classes on the Western side of the triangle. And she recently pitched a class on writing prose poetry, which we had not had before. And it ended up being really popular because there was, it turns out, quite an appetite for prose poetry. And like you guys said, when, when it comes to writing, there's a lot of boundaries and it can sometimes feel very inaccessible especially given like a lot of curriculums that you learn maybe in college with like more journalistic writing there's a lot of rules which can be a little daunting especially once you like maybe you've been trained to write in a certain way is there like any way that you guys maybe push past these boundaries and maybe create more of like a creative and fun experience for your students yeah well one of the first things we teach is that um, for every so-called rule that we're going to teach you you can probably find an exception so we kind of like to break down um, this notion that there is a certain way of doing things. Um, so I think that's one thing. The other is um, I think it's really empowering for students to learn the building blocks. Um, so we you know, teach them about like, okay, this is dialogue, this is how you build a scene, this is plot structure. But once they have those tools, you know, we really encourage them to manipulate them and um, change them to what is going to work for their story. So um, I think there's a lot of, of freedom and fun, um, hopefully, that we infuse um, in, in the classes. Yeah, I think for me, actually, one of the most stressful things about my own first forays into creative writing was the sense that there weren't any rules, um, because I love rules and structure. <laughs> um, so I think you know, for me as a teacher anyway, and I think some of my students feel this way too, it can actually be comforting to learn that there are some elements of fiction that they can learn and study and get better at. And then within that, they can ex exercise their own creativity. So I would say that our classes are sort of a mix of giving people the quote unquote rules. And I say quote unquote, because as Arshia mentioned, rules are made to be broken, right? It's not like um, writing a legal brief where you have to follow the rules to the letter of the law. 
Um, but I think it's empowering for students to um, learn that, again, there are actionable steps that they can take to get better at fiction um, and sort of give them a framework to think about um, how they might craft their stories in conversation with all the other stories that have existed um, up until now. Um, but also, I would say that something that can be very freeing for them can be um, teaching them that they can write in their own voice. I think especially students who come from a technical writing background or perhaps do PR or do communication in some way through their job or perhaps the, the place where they have written the most has been in the academy. They're used to writing in a very dry and formal voice. And I think they find it very empowering to learn that they don't have to write in that voice anymore and that they can write in a voice that feels true to them and authentic to, to themselves. Um, so I, I think that's a really wonderful thing to see people blossoming into. Um, and I'll just say one last thing and then I'll shut up and <laughs> we'll go to the next question. Um, you know, in thinking about the difference between learning writing in the academy and learning writing out here in the wild world. Um, I think for me, one of the more oppressive things about learning creative writing in high school and college was the sense that there was a certain type of story that should be told or a certain type of story that would be venerated by the power structure. And we work really hard to find stories about women, people of color, um, the body, all the elements of um, that may not be as explored in the traditional um, canon. I hope that's changing for people who are in high school and college now, but I remember feeling like I wasn't really reflected in the stories that I was taught to venerate in high school and college. And at Redbud, we really work um, to push against that and make sure that everybody sees that their story can matter. I agree. Yeah, I mean, that's been my personal experience, as you all both said, with like communication schools and especially PR schools, which is what I've been studying at NC State for the past four years. A lot of what I've learned is that very formal tone. And then quarantine happened and I got really into creative writing and I, it was very just daunting in terms of how to start. And I just like, it was very uninspiring. Like you feel inspired, but it's also you get the paper and the pen out or like a laptop out and you just like don't know where to start. What would be your tips for both like an amateur hobby writer that wants to start and maybe like wants to express to their creative side? And also what's your tips for like someone that does want to do it a lot more professionally and maybe wants to pursue that MFA at one point? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think a uh, sort of question that always comes up of like, I'm feeling motivated, but then I sit at the page and I, I don't know what to do next. Um, so I think very basic advice, um, though I think um, very true, is just to try. Um, and you can, um, you know, do things like setting a timer for 10 minutes and seeing what comes out or, um, you know, trying uh, every day for you know, 500 words or whatever, the small but achievable goal that you set for yourself, I think is um, one thing. And another is um, just keeping in mind that what you write initially doesn't have to be perfect. And in fact, it's not going to be perfect unless you are like one of the rare geniuses <laughs> um, out there. So that like that draft is giving you something to work with. Um, so feeling um, excited about that, um, I think is, is one thing I'd say. And I think for writers who are maybe a little bit further along in their journey and are thinking about pursuing this craft more professionally, I would give two pieces of advice. One would be to find a community that feels supportive to you. It's really hard to write in isolation, despite what the um, myth of the tortured man in the garret in Paris might, <laughs> might have us believe. And finding people who you trust, um, whether you're sharing your work with them or whether they're just writerly friends who you can you know, have a beer with and complain. I mean, that's really valuable, too. 
And the other thing I would say is to read a lot. Um, read, 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 read critically, learn to learn from every book that you read, even if you hate it, think about why you hate it. And it's also important to see what's being published these days. Um, trying to think about where your work might fit into the conversation um, can be really important too. And of course, reading is fun. So um, that's a positive. <laughs> I'll just add, I endorse this message to read. <laughs> yes, um, we always tell our students one of the best ways to improve your writing is to read widely. Just in general, with like all this fall weather, a lot of like cozying up, reading a book, maybe a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, whatever you prefer. What is y'all's like fall book recommendations? Um, so book recommendations. Um, one book that Arshia and I both read this year and both really loved was the Copenhagen Trilogy by Tove Ditlevsen which is one of these interesting books that um, was written decades ago, but was sort of found and venerated by the literary powers that be last year. And I am pleased to report that it definitely lived up to the hype. It is about um, sort of a Bildungsroman of a woman growing up poor in Copenhagen in the middle of the 20th century and her journey towards becoming an artist and also her struggles with addiction and misogyny and bad men and all that bad stuff um and it's just this sort of um very interior and specific portrait of a female character that i personally as a reader really love and it takes place in scandinavia so that's good to read on a colder day and <laughs> when you want to be cozy um so another one that i would recommend is drive your plow over the bones of the dead which is another wintry book about um, a troubled european woman this one's fiction though whereas the copenhagen trilogy is a memoir and um it, it's about sort of an ornery old woman who is caught up in a murder mystery in her small town on the border of poland in the czech republic and i really think the character development and the prose are quite intriguing so if you're interested in learning more about either of those then i would definitely recommend that one so book recommendations from me, um, I am current, or I just finished The Wonder by Emma Donahue. Um, I think that it takes place in um, rural Ireland, um, which also feels like a very cozy <laughs> feeling book, although the book itself is quite depressing as many of the books Emily and I read um, but um, it's a really intriguing premise that this nurse is called to monitor this child who ostensibly hasn't been eating for the past four months um, and to figure out whether it's a hoax or whether she's like some sort of new Catholic saint um, so really fascinating um, this nurse's moral quandary as she dives into this um, and then a book that Emily and I have been recommending for a long time now, it feels, um, is Ghost Wall um, by Sarah Moss. Um, it's a novella. It's like a beautiful cover. It's like oddly shaped and sized. Um, so that alone is intriguing. Um, but it um, is about a young girl who's about like 17 or 18 and her very... Um, strict and problematic father who loves to recreate like the stone ages um and drag his family along on these recreations um and it's also quite dark but the language is so beautiful and the attention to nature um and setting is really like awe-inspiring and makes me want to be able to do that and that's somebody and this is coming from somebody who like doesn't focus on setting as much as I should. So um, a great one if um, you want to explore the natural world. Um, 
Wednesday, which is um, people sometimes come into so-and-so because we work here on Wednesdays to help Chris and Charles, the owners, out. And they'll say, I want a happy book. And I say, I'm sorry, I don't read happy books. I can't help you with that. <laughs> and is there any authors that maybe you all would recommend in terms of just wanting to maybe learn more about their craft or learn more about the craft in writing? Well, yeah, there are certain craft-focused authors, and we can definitely name some of those. There's also just certain authors that we kind of, like, view as, like, the patron saints of Red Bud. <laughs> um, so, like, we're both obsessed with Elena Ferrante um, and Otessa Moshbeg, um, you know, frequently invoking them <laughs> as we write. Um, but then in terms of craft... I really enjoyed a book that I came across in um, uh, when teaching undergrads at NC State, which is um, Alice LaPlante's The Making of a Story. That's very craft focused and it will break down like each of the components, um, you know, like dialogue and plot and structure and so forth. And then recently George Saunders came out with his um, book where he takes Russian stories um, old Russian stories and then analyzes them and um, it is just brilliant and so inspiring it's called something weird like a swim in the pond in the rain it's a title I think it's like from one of the Russian stories but the analysis is just amazing and seeing his mind at work as he picks apart the stories and deconstructs them for you makes you feel like oh I could do this too <laughs> um, so those are two for me yeah, I definitely agree with Arshia's endorsement of both those books. Um, two more that I really enjoyed this year were Refuse to be Done, which is a book about how to um, write and revise a novel that has um, a lot of really wonderful, actionable tips, I think. Um, one of them is to retype the entire work, which is quite a daunting task, um, but one that I think is really useful if you're looking to change some elements and don't want to feel like you're completely beholden to the first draft. Um, another book that I recommend that Arshia and I actually taught part of in a class last night is Body Work by Melissa Phoebos, which is a little bit less craft focused, but is more focused on the idea of claiming your story, even if you're not from the dominant power structure that has had their stories venerated for centuries, if not millennia. And I really recommend that book to anybody who's questioning whether their story is worth telling because Melissa Phoebos gives a stirring argument for why it probably is worth telling. Well, thank you so much for both of y'all's recommendations, both on fall books and authors. I've been in heavy need of some new reads, so I'll definitely check out some of those. Uh, just talking a little bit more about Redbud, in terms of just calculating somebody's personal growth, how do you go about doing that within writing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think because, you know, we don't give out grades, for example, at Redbud, um, so you don't get that, you know gold star a plus but i think um there's you know a lot of intangible things that we can observe students who suddenly start like when they're able to sort of figure out problematic element in a story before we even have to tell them we often see that with like students who take multiple classes with us where they're like coming in they're like i was struggling with this part i have ideas um and it's just really exciting to see them sort of be able to recognize parts that need help, ways to come up with solutions. Yeah. Um, I think it really depends for every student. You know, for some students, some students come in thinking that there's no way that they could write a page and then they end up writing 20 pages. And that's a huge, huge success when it comes to somebody's personal growth. 
And then other students have come in with no ideas what to write about, and we've seen them write entire novel drafts over the course of many classes when we've worked with them. So, yeah, I mean, I suppose that beyond that, measuring personal growth can be a little bit nebulous in an environment like this, but I'd like to think that in every class period we see our students grow a little bit, whether it's them observing something about a piece of published writing that they might not have been able to observe when they first came into our classroom, or whether it's them having the courage to reach out to somebody else in the class and ask to form a writing group, or um, again, whether it's them writing a 20-page complete story when they thought that they would ever be able to do that. So I think for our students, and I think this really goes for anybody, it's focusing on the little things. If you just say, well, here I am, and I won't have grown until I have my story reviewed in The New Yorker or published in The New Yorker, then that's just not a good way to view growth. So it's about looking at, I think, those small victories and those small steps forward. Great. And just talking about the growth of Redbud, where do you guys want this uh, project to go? Where, what is your future goals for it? Yeah, um, so we are really committed to making sure that um, creative writing is accessible to all of those who want to join in. And so one big um, goal that we have is to expand our offerings and our free offerings um, because um, we do offer scholarships every round um, to students both sponsored by us and um, through donations that we get. Um, so we're always looking to expand the amount of scholarships and the number of scholarships that we can offer. And we're also sort of trying to think about more community-based offerings that we can give. So um, two examples this time around, uh, we're teaching a class in partnership with Planned Parenthood that will sort of de hopefully destigmatize um, uh, issues related with reproductive justice, and we're also um, offering a free Fiction One class to survivors of domestic violence um, in partnership with Interact, um, which is a local organization that supports sub survivors. So to sum all of that up, I guess we're always looking to um, make creative writing more accessible is one goal. Yeah, want to share some others? Well, I think that's the major one going into 2023. We really are hoping to expand those offerings to people who have had experiences that have typically not been represented in the publishing world or expand our offerings to people who have traditionally not had access to creative writing instruction or maybe have just grown up in an environment and come of age in an environment where they feel like creative writing is not for them because they're not a fancy person or what have you. So that's super important to us, and you know we'll continue to expand our six-week paid offerings that we've been doing since 2019 as we move into the new year, and we'll also continue to expand these community-based classes that Arshia and I both talked about. And I had one more thought, which is that we, you know, we started in 2019, and we're so excited to sort of engage with the community of writers here in the Triangle because. There is a really robust community, but not necessarily like a central gathering point. And so um, we got to do some of that with things like free literary trivia nights. And then COVID happened <laughs> and everything shut down. And so for a long time, we weren't able to gather in person. And so one other thing that we're looking forward to is doing more sort of, you know, social events where people can come together and um, meet other fellow writers and you know, discuss literature and have laughs. Um, so hopefully more things like trivia nights or like a literary movie night 
or perhaps even speed dating for people who love um, literature. So, you know, we are always open to ideas and looking for ways to like foster those social connections and um, or one off events. You know, we've done something called, for example, like Pros and Pale Ales, where we partner with a local business and you know, they um, provide drinks and we provide like a little bit of instruction um, on a, to- a writing topic and then people write and like share with one another. So really fun literary based event. Yeah. And also, um, I think it's really important to encourage writers who come here to study to stay here. You know, the more people who come to the MFA program at NC State and actually decide to remain in the area, the better for the literary community. So the bigger we can grow, the more that we can offer um, part-time jobs to working writers as, as our teachers, or the more excitement we can create around the literary community in general that will make people feel and see that Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill are robust literary places where writers can stay and learn and they don't have to run off to Brooklyn immediately or what have you, um, the better. So um, we really hope to continue to grow and um, encourage more people to stay in the area or even move to the area. I mean, there are a lot of people moving to the area um, and we think many of them are writers. So the more that that can happen, the better. What is the best way to like kind of learn more about Redbud in terms of just like a website or maybe coming in person? Yeah, um, so our website is a great place to start, redbudwriting.org. And then we have um, the three main social medias for people our age. Um, So we have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Redbud Writing. Um, So you can definitely follow us there. And, you know, we do all sorts of hijinks, like offer book recommendations and post pictures of plants and Emily's dog. So um, that's a great one. And um, as Emily mentioned, we are here on Wednesdays at So-and-So Books. Um, So people just want to drop by and say hi or talk books. We love, love to do that. Well, that is all for today's episode of On the Triangle. I want to thank Technician News Editors Abigail, Emily, and Heidi for their weekly news tidbits and recommendations. I also want to thank Arshia Simkin and Emily Catanio for taking the time to sit and interview with us and teaching us all more about the Redbud Writing Project. I hope everyone has a lovely rest of their week. Thank you for listening. Music for today's episode has been The Blackest Crow by Track Tribe, licensed under the YouTube Audio Library. You can listen to more episodes of Eye on the Triangle through wknc.org slash podcast.